0: Hello and welcome to Myelopathy Matters, the official podcast of the charity Myelopathy.org where we talk all things degenerative cervical myelopathy from the perspective of the professionals, the researchers and the people living with myelopathy. I'm Ben Davies, a neurosurgeon scientist and a founder of Myelopathy.org. I'm Ewan Sadler, a person with DCM and also a founder of Myelopathy.org. This is Myelopathy Matters. Welcome back to another series of Myelopathy Matters from myelopathy.org. Now into our fourth year, we still have plenty to cover this series from the role of specific types of surgery, such as disc replacement or a procedure called laminoplasty, to whether or not surgery is the right treatment at very early stages of the disease. Now, unfortunately, Ewan couldn't be with us today, but I'm delighted instead to be joined by Liz Roberts, one of myelopathy.org's latest team members, as we take a deep look at myelopathy.org's incubator program. Liz has had a close relationship with myloppy.org really from the very beginning, uh, but is now acting as the project manager of myloppy.org's research. Welcome, Liz. You're becoming an ever more integral part of the charity.
1: Hi, yes, it's great to see this project continuing to evolve. I think we first met making a documentary for Cambridge TV about myelopathy.org, where I met you, Ewan and Mark, and then we've continued to work together with AO Spine, helping to share the messages of Recode. And now I'm on the inside.
0: You are indeed, and we're delighted to have you because sharing the message of myelopathy is critical, as we know, the top, top priority. But let's get back to the incubator programme and perhaps start by introducing it. Well, this was born out of our collaboration with AOSpine through Recode DCM, because having identified the top research priorities, we were grappling with how to stimulate the research needed to answer those priorities. And ultimately, it was a fairly inhospitable landscape, you know, a small, fragmented research field with very little research funding. So we decided to try and bring experts together from a range of different professional disciplines with people living with DCM to form special working groups. We call them incubators because this is how NASA plans to bring life to Mars, another inhospitable environment. Initially, we set up three groups, one to create diagnostic criteria for DCM called the Diagnostic Criteria Incubator, one to look at the role of non-surgical care called the Perioperative Rehabilitation Incubator, and one to look at how DCM actually starts called the Natural History Incubator.
1: And why did you select those three questions to look at?
0: Well, a combination of reasons, we did speak to the initial Recode community and asked them for the priorities that most resonated with their interests. But we also considered the questions we felt most suitable to progress through expert opinion, because fundamentally, this is cheaper than conducting uh, original research. And what's been your experience of getting involved in the incubator programme, Liz?
1: Well, for me, it's been absolutely fascinating and really exciting, actually, to see these groups get up and running And the work's been so important that they've produced. Um, In a little over three years, we've set up groups that include a diverse range of healthcare professionals and always including that representation from people with lived experience of DCM. So in the Natural History Incubator, we now have 28 people from across 13 different countries worldwide to get that really wide perspective. In the Diagnostic Criteria Incubator, we have 26 people from 12 countries And in the perioperative rehabilitation incubator, which is really growing recently, we now have 32 people from 11 countries.
0: I understand today we have an update from the natural history incubator.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, Natural history is a medical term for how a disease starts and evolves if you don't treat it. And I was able to find a slot in the busy schedule of Arya Nuri, a surgeon scientist in Geneva, leading the RICO DCM natural history incubator. I started by asking him how he came to be involved in the incubator.
2: I wasn't really involved too much with the with the conception of the incubators, but uh, you know, as part of the Recode DCM uh, efforts that Ben uh, and Mark put together, there was an idea to to put these incubators together. Of which there's three of them. Of which um, the Natural History incubator is one, and so groups were formed based on people that were involved in Recode DCM that expressed interest people that were involved with uh, Ao Spine uh, knowledge forum on uh, on this topic on spinal cord injury and so the idea for these incubators uh, was to tackle issues that are ongoing with cervical myelopathy and that require some attention and uh, to put experts together and uh, try to solve some of these issues that are ongoing. So what is the Natural History Incubator? The Natural History Incubator is a a group of experts that meets regularly, online usually, to discuss how we can improve and conduct research on this topic, really to move forward this area that remains really a, a knowledge gap in the academic field. And also, we don't have much information regarding the natural history of DCM that we can apply to clinical practice, unfortunately, and we're trying to, we're trying to tackle this.
1: And um, can you tell us a bit about who's involved?
2: The natural history incubator um, involves multiple stakeholders, including individuals that were involved with RICO DCM, and this group involved academics, it involved surgeons, orthopaedic and neurosurgeons, as well as individuals with the general cervical myelopathy. And so it is quite a diverse group of individuals that make up also individuals that come from everywhere, really, uh, around the globe.
1: What's your motivation for being part of the Natural History Incubator? What do you see as its role and the opportunity?
2: We know from the this, the Recode DCM work that the Natural History um, topic remains not well studied but also we don't really know much about what the natural history is and most of the knowledge that we have is individual based some from expert opinion and we know that it's important because when we make treatment decisions, we kind of need to know what will happen to individuals that are not treated. And when do we jump in? At what point do we say, okay, um, perhaps the surgery will be more beneficial than waiting? Because we do know that some individuals with mild myelopathy stay relatively stable over time. And so we need to have better and better understanding of when it is that we need to suggest to patients that a surgery would be more beneficial than waiting. And so the natural history incubator is trying to address that. And because I'm involved in uh, cervical myelopathy, not just from a research point of view, but from consultations, I, I, I have consultations at least once or twice a month for these patients. And I see patients that don't necessarily have an indication for surgery because they're very mildly affected. This information is important to guide our treatment decision making and so this is an important knowledge gap that we need to address this is really a continuum right so uh, the cervical myelopathy it has various progressions some people can remain relatively stable over time whereas other people uh, progress quite rapidly and others progress quite slowly and so this is the natural history um of, of a condition, right? It, it, the, the rate at which uh, it evolves over time. However, the problem is that because individuals with the cervical myelopathy have these different progressions, we don't really know who will progress, who will have a rapid decline, who stays stable. And so the, the study of natural history is to clarify that.
1: Okay, so what is the incubator currently working on?
2: So the problem with uh, natural history studies is that we require to look at individuals over a long period of time, especially when things can occur, when there can be an evolution, for instance, over two or five years or 10 years even. And so it is quite difficult to, to study the subject because to follow a lot of patients over a lot of period of time takes a lot of effort and a lot of money. And it also requires that specific surgeons see enough of these individuals and that they follow them also. And so what we need to do in the Natural History Incubator is try to see how we can study this topic in an effective way. What we identified at the very beginning was that Unfortunately, individuals that have no treatment, let's say, that have mild myelopathy or very, very slight symptoms are not necessarily followed up in a standardized fashion. And the first study that we wanted to undertake was to see what is happening around the world. How are surgeons following these patients, if they follow them at all? And so what we decided to do is put together a survey that we sent out to the Aero spine community and that we also sent out to um, the Cervical Spine Research Society of North America to get feedback with regards to certain questions. So how are surgeons following patients, Uh, what kind of exams are they doing, when they follow them? Are they just doing clinical exams? Are they doing imagery exams, electrophysiological exams? We also ask specific demographic questions like uh, where they're from, how many years they've been in the field, and uh, how many patients they see, and try to get an understanding of how these uh, individuals are looked at over time, and try to see if there are certain patterns that can be put together in an informative way, and then the ultimate goal is to try to perhaps suggest a specific standardized way to follow these patients. So this is the first initiative from the Natural Hysteria Incubator that we undertook. We sent out the survey, we got the results, and the paper that was put together, and it is currently under review. The second problem that we wanted to tackle was that we do recognize now, with the new terminology. As degenerative cervical myelopathy, and with the guidelines that there are patients that can be categorized as mild, moderate, and severely impaired. And this has helped us direct clinical treatment. But there is a group of individuals that we encounter frequently in clinical practice that have a spinal cord compression without symptoms, or uh, let's say they're subclinical, a lot of times these are referred to as asymptomatic spinal cord compression, and clearly these are the individuals that will eventually progress to have cervical myelopathy. But we also recognize that a lot of people have asymptomatic spinal cord compression and will never develop it, and so What do you do with these patients? Uh, uh, You need to obviously, if you want to know who develops cervical myelopathy, you need to look at them over time to see what's going on. But the problem is that this condition, let's say asymptomatic spinal cord compression, unfortunately doesn't have a stat, it's not standardized as terminology. And people will say subclinical cervical myelopathy, they will say pre symptomatic cervical myelopathy or cervical canal stenosis. Asymptomatic spinal cord compression is another one. And so uh, we need to clarify what we should call individuals that don't have cervical myelopathy as we define it and have a standardized way to give this a name so that we can identify it and study the subject as well. So what we did is we did a systematic review on papers that used various terminology for this group of individuals and the purpose of this paper is to propose perhaps that we use some sort of standardized terminology for this and then we will be able to study this subject also better the survey that we did on the various current management strategies will help us to look at what is currently being done and we can using this propose a standardized way that these individuals can be followed and uh, we plan on uh, putting together a paper with this expert opinion on how these patients can be followed and I mean obviously this is not going to be based on high level evidence but it provides a first step towards having a concerted effort to follow these patients and then we can uh, study this eventually you know after we collect this data with these standardized follow-up techniques We'll be able to look at who's progressing or evolving, who's staying stable. But without having a standardized way to look at these individuals, we will not be able to do that because um, it will be based on very diverse ways of evaluating evolution. And so I think this will be critical for clinical management. Now, the way that the terminology will be important is kind of the same as with the general cervical myelopathy. So, you know, as you know, this was uh, part of my thesis where we suggested to adopt the terminology of the cervical myelopathy to provide a definition of what it is and what it comprises so that we can all speak the same language and have a concerted effort when we do some research work. That we are all talking about the same patient population that we all know what it means when we're saying degenerative cervical myelopathy and so the same thing is necessary for these individuals is to have this image finding of uh, spinal cord compression we need to use the same terminology so that when we talk when we write a paper about various studies that, that are done on this uh, group of individuals we need to be sure that we're talking about the same group. If we are calling it one thing and another thing, it is hard to put this data together. And ultimately, it will hinder the advancement in this area. And so this will have a direct impact, in my opinion, on on clinical management for these individuals.
1: So should we talk about what are the critical challenges that you've been facing and how can they be overcome?
2: the efforts of the Natural History Incubator, I mean, we are all doing this as volunteers. So we, we do take time to investigate this subject. And it, it's difficult to have a large group of experts meet regularly. It is difficult also to, to organize and have enough manpower to achieve the goals but we have been moving forward in an effective way and i'm happy about the progress that we've made going forward the projects that eventually will need to be undertaken as a consequence of what we have shown they will require probably uh, some funding and so as with any research the next steps will be challenged by how much funding we have available because ultimately To study the natural history of degenerative cervical myelopathy, as I earlier alluded to, there's costs. These studies take time and they require the investigation at multiple sites in order to have a critical amount of patients that are studied in order to provide effective feedback with regards to what we want to show. So we need to have a large number of patients. One of the members of the incubator is currently undertaking a natural history study in University of Toronto. Jefferson Wilson is a principal investigator. This is an independent project outside of the incubator, but it, it is uh, important because it is addressing The natural history but i think ultimately what we need to do is uh, we we can use this natural history incubator to find individuals across the globe of different backgrounds to to achieve them the same goal so that we can ultimately provide some insight into how we can evaluate the natural history on a global level and not just in, in in pockets such as north america or in europe
1: Okay, I just wanna go a little bit deeper and so why why you think there is such a challenge in getting funding for studying DCM?
2: The germ cervical myelopathy remains a diagnosis that is really done by experts. It's something, unfortunately, that is not well known in the medical community even. So of course, individuals anywhere will have a hard time understanding really what it is. And if a condition is not well known, of course it will not garner. Uh, the same attention as conditions better known such as you know alzheimer's or multiple sclerosis and so it's a it's a general challenge that we face uh, with research in uh, several myelopathy but it is also um, a challenge because we need to find more evidence of the impact economic impact that this condition has um, there's some work that has been done but further work is necessary because ultimately uh, in order to get funding we need to show um, funding bodies including governments that this has a detrimental impact on economic productivity, on quality of life and these are other areas that need to be studied and that have a direct impact also on us and our area of study but is a problem in uh, with cervical myelopathy in general.
1: What would be your tips for um, addressing that challenge?
2: We have been working quite a lot on on, on raising attention in different ways. Um, different academics, let's say, or different researchers in cervical myelopathy have approached this differently. From my end, my idea was, you know, initially with the, the general cervical myelopathy paper where we introduced the term, that was one of the key points, right? It's that, you know, this is a large topic. And in order to really show that this is important, we kind of have to all agree to a terminology to say, look, this is this entity and this is quite large and we need to all be on the same page so that we can study this topic in an effective way so that we can also address stakeholders and government and the, the funding bodies to say that, look, this is a big issue and and, and it requires uh, funding, to advance the, um, the field. Now, the other point is that, you know, we have now written reviews on cervical myelopathy in Spanish, recently published, you know, in a, I think, Chilean medical journal. And that was also a work done by uh, individuals from the Natural History Incubator. And uh, I think it is important to do the same thing in other languages. And I think there's some work uh, ongoing to do that because not everyone speaks English, even though it is spoken mostly around the world, that we need to have the topic discussed in other languages, for instance, to raise awareness. Of course, uh, myelopathy.org, you know, its mission is also to do this. And with its growth, I think uh, it will also have the potential to raise awareness. But these things take time. And I think even though Some years have passed, we're still kind of in infancy and I think these things need to develop uh, in concert and I'm I'm hoping that eventually that we will reach a critical point where more people will become aware. One of the factors that can help raise awareness is is, uh, engaging patients in the disease process and and, and, and informing them and myelopathy.org, its main objective is to raise awareness and I think the work that they're doing can potentially help achieve the goal of raising awareness for degenerative cervical myelopathy. I think that this process, however, takes time and we need to help develop strategies that can be done in conjunction with myelopathy.org to achieve their objectives.
1: How can interested people get involved in the incubator?
2: We're open. We encourage individuals to be part of the Natural History Incubator. And we are quite a large group of individuals. I would suggest that anyone who's interested contact us and I will let Ben provide some more information on how to do that.
1: So, Ben, what are your reflections?
0: Well, it's always great to hear from Arya. He's constantly working on all sorts of great things to do with do with myelopathy. But I think my take home really is it continues to amaze me what we can achieve by simply connecting. bringing together a diverse group of motivated people. And I have to urge patience. I think Aria does the same in the interview. This is a challenging area to get into. You're relying on lots of people giving up their time. It's all done voluntarily. And um, ultimately, it's going to take a bit of time for those findings, insights to get into practice. But there is significant potential there. And I think Aria really reinforces that message during the interview.
1: Yeah, maybe just trying to make that landscape a little more hospitable for for new people to join in and share their experiences and contribute together.
0: Really do hope so. And who can we hear from next month, Liz?
1: Well, next month, it's the turn of the Perioperative Rehabilitation Incubator led by Professor Chad Cook from Duke University in the United States. And he's assembling an ever-burgeoning team to create the first ever framework and recommendations on the role of therapies other than surgery.
0: So all that remains to be said is thanks to our guest, Ari Nuri, our producer, Carl Homer from Cambridge TV, and importantly to A.O. Spine, who did pledge an award that kick-started this incubator programme. You can find out lots more about the charity's research programme by visiting www.myelopathy.org. But don't worry, we'll of course keep you updated across the episodes of this podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favourite platform. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.